Hello, and welcome to the Double Take Podcast with your hosts, Kirk and Kevin Weber. This is the show for fans of sports, music, and popular culture. On this episode, we discuss the Houston Astros sign-stealing scandal, the Beatles' Revolver album, the APA Baseball 2019 card release, and the new 2020 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees. Please join us now on Double Take. Hello, welcome. This is Kirk Weber with my brother Kevin Weber and to another episode of Double Take. Uh, we thank you for joining us. We have lots of takes and segments that we like to get into and discussions. There's uh, many things going on in pop culture and in the sports world. Uh, one of the bigger things, as baseball fans like we are, is the Astros uh, sign-stealing cheating scandal affair. Uh, so we're going to kind of kick off before we get into our other segments, just kind of discussing that among other things. Um, what are your initial thoughts, Kevin? Well, it's very disturbing for sure. And, um, just, you know, preemptively, you know, I'm a, I'm an Astros fan, you know, I like the Astros and, um, I think you do too, right, Kirk? Yeah. I mean, yeah. we're not I... Astro haters or something here, but, uh, this is very disconcerting and, um, you know, they're the asterisks now, you know, that's, that's what the, it seems to be. I know that cheating has been a part of baseball since its inception and that uh, as technology has improved, people have been trying to do that. But this whole this whole thing going down is is um, makes me you know very worried for baseball right now. And, and Joey Cora's role in all of this in, in the 2017 and 18 World Series, he basically helped in a way, kind of fix both those World Series yes. in a certain way. And, um, you know, I, I, it's like you wonder, like, hey, what's on the up and up? I mean, you know, the, when I'm watching games in April, I'm going to be wondering, oh, that guy just hit that bomb. I wonder if he knew what pitch was maybe coming. I'm mm-hmm. going to be thinking that. Are you going to be well, thinking there are, that? I mean, you, go, you can go back and, and think differently on things that you watch. Like a lot of people have been doing that with El Tuve and the home run he hit off Chapman. Um, look, when you hit home runs, you normally are on a pitch and you look like you almost know what's coming. But if you really go back and look at a lot of video of the Astros, they really are on things. Like, oh yeah, yeah they're hitting like four hundred foot bombs to straightaway pull yeah. side. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, which I, I remember watching those games and thinking, whoa, these guys are something else. I mean, just yeah. like. You didn't think about that with the steroid stuff. Like, wow, they're just hitting so many home runs. That's pretty amazing. It seemed a little weird, right? right. Same thing with those those situations. It seemed a little weird, but I was like, well, okay, well, they're just good players. That's what I, you know. You just kind of go with that. But you know, and I everybody know, liked the story of the you know the new you know looking at the analytics and all that sort of stuff. And so you just kind of went with it with the Astros and. Um, I, I get it, but now you look back and you second guess yourself, and and I think a lot of people were. I mean, there's um, lots of interviews of people saying, I, you know, I call for this good slider. He throws a, a really good, you know, uh, slider, and and it gets drilled, and like you know, catchers are thinking, am I tipping off things or what? What's going on? Why are they so on this? And just something didn't seem right. And mm-hmm. it's and the thing is, and I know you've. You've seen things on social media like this, too. Some people are like, oh, whatever, you know, people do that. Or if you tip pitches and you give it away or, you know, if a third base coach can see the, the sign the catcher is giving and you can relay it, 
or the relaying signs from second base because they can see it and you don't have sophisticated enough signs. Look, that is totally yes. different. And it's that's not within the, the rules of the game. That's not against rules. Like I was umpiring a cows game last year. I was, you know, doing the bases and um a left-handed pitcher was pitching and with guys on base and he's holding his glove up too high, like above his nose almost. And they can see the grip he's got. The third base coach can see it. He's calling out. Breaking pitch. Mm-hmm. Fastball. And, of course, it's kind of bush. You shouldn't be doing that. There's no rule against it. Okay. And the shortstop and second baseman are saying stuff, and they're kind of going back and forth, so I had to stop them. I mean, this isn't a college game, okay, like a D3 college game. But that's not illegal. Now, when you are filming the center field camera and have an intricate system, kind of a weird one at that, for letting people know a breaking pitch or a fastball, that is kind of going over over that. Like in, in NCAA and Federation Baseball, for example, and I know it might be different in, for um, OBR rules, but if you're using video technology to get that stuff, um, that's illegal. Yeah. There's a reason why it is, you know, because it, it's I liken it. I, I liken it to this. There's certain levels to this that people need the clue in on, and you and I are both high school teachers. Uh, I've had students cheat in class on a test or something. Uh, you know, they um, copied from somebody else or turned in something, and they can get in trouble. You could get possibly suspended. You might get like a zero on the assignment or whatever it is. That is totally different than somebody hacking into the school system's computer system and changing all their grades. Like that's kind of like what they did. Yes. That, that to yep. me, like there's one level. And then there's another level, and this is another yeah. level, you know. And it's a coordinated effort too. I mean, what Joy Corps did, I don't think Joy Corps should be allowed to manage and coach in the major leagues ever again. I, I agree. He has no integrity. I don't care right. what people say. Oh, he's the nicest guy. This or that. Well, maybe he is. I don't know. I've never met him, but I don't. I wouldn't trust him ever. It, it, let's say he gets another job someplace. Do you trust anything he's doing or no. any success he has? I would say I would go this far and say that Joey Cora deserves to be banned from baseball more than Pete yeah. Rose. Yeah, you know? I agree. I agree. Um, it, it's it's just um, to you. I mean, you're using more current technology to uh, basically Cheat sabotage the game. the game. You know, to set up games to almost fix a game. And I know I've had a discussion with people on social media, and they're like, "Well, you look at the 25 minute video, and sometimes you know they hear the banging and and the pitch is taken, or it's fouled off, or it's called a strike." Okay, um, okay, I, I've been behind a plate calling pitches when guys are throwing 90 plus and have great sliders. Even if you know it's coming, it's really hard to hit. All right, so there's no guarantee you're going to crush it every time. That that is mm-hmm. not evidence that they didn't know what pitch was coming. Mm-hmm. But you look at the splits on their home and away. You look at the kind of swings they had on certain pitches. It's pretty. Yeah, I mean, it's there, and they admit it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. And and you know, and what's even more annoying is, and I don't want to go down the path of you know too much on the integrity of the game and blah 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 because some people don't care you know about that like baseball gets a little bit gushy on itself 
but what it, you do want to have something where people feel like it's an honest thing going on. I mean, that's been a problem with other sports. That's what really kind of started ruining boxing, if you ask me, is that people felt like there was always a fix in and, and things like that. But like when you had all those press conferences, when they were being accused of different things and just this smug attitude about, oh, what, you know, we pick up on stuff and we're just smarter than other people and stuff like that. No, no, yeah. that's not what it was. Yeah. You know, and that's and then what's at their annoying. fan fest the other day, I found it very annoying at their fan fest the other day. You got Bregman, who's Mister Mister Muggin for the camera all the time, and he's like, "Well, that's what the commissioner said. That's what the commissioner said." Uh, shut up. And Altuve, who I, I do like, but I do like less now. He's like, "Well, we're gonna make it to the World Series, and we'll have to prove people." You know what? The most hated team in baseball is the Yankees. If you play for the Yankees, you hear for it every. Uh, you hear about it every time you go to another stadium. Uh huh. The Astros? Oh, oh yeah. my God. The, they just oh, took it mate. over. Yeah. Yeah, it is going to be mate. rough. It's going to be hell for them. Yeah. Every Which I, th- I think they deserve. And they deserve it. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, you know, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, it, 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 it gives us the some The other interesting... thing is, like, people are saying, oh, it's not tainted. Oh, well, you know, they're saying, oh, it's, you know, probably wouldn't have changed the outcome. Bull crap. You want a seven-game series. And there were some big home runs at home. It changed that World Series. The Dodgers probably should have won that World Series. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, every single time I think of the 2017 championship Astros, I'm thinking about this. Every time yeah. for the rest of my yeah. life. Just like when I think of Bobby Thompson's home run over the Dodgers, for the Giants over the Dodgers, I think that he knew that pitch was coming, and that's why mm-hmm. he hit it. Mm-hmm. I think of every time. <laughs> okay, So that's what, that's what you get. <laughs> you <know? Yep. laughs> so. And look, it doesn't change everything. But at least the truth is out. It definitely gives us nice uh, baseball fodder to talk about during the winter months. But hey, um, yes, and I know one thing: the Tigers don't cheat. They won forty-seven honest games last yes, year, baby. They did. I mean, no yeah. cheating there. That no. was that was all talent right there. Yes, yes, uh, all talent. Forty-seven <laughs> wins. <laughs> so, all right. Well, when we um. When we come back, we have other things that are some of our usual. We're going to go into our next Beatles album, Revolver. We will also do some APA baseball talk um, and also have some discussion about uh, the the announcement for the 2020 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees. A while back, we had talked about that on one of our earliest episodes, and um, we would like to kind of follow up or follow through on that. So we'll be doing that. So stick with us. Um, and we'll be right back after this brief message. All right, welcome back. Time for some Beatles talk. And we're jumping into the Revolver album from 1966. And this, again, is an album that the British and American versions differ. And we'll start off with that just to talk about those um, and kind of remind you. I know that just listing the track listings, I'll list the British ones, and then which was a 14-track uh, album. And Kevin will kind of talk about how the missing tracks from the U.S. album. So 
the British one and the one that is like the CD release that came out started with Taxman, Great George Song. Then it goes Eleanor Rigby, I'm Only Sleeping, Love You Too, Here, There, and Everywhere, Yellow Submarine, She Said, She Said, Good Day, Sunshine, And Your Bird Can Sing, For No One, Dr. Robert, I Want to Tell You, Got to Get You Into My Life, and Tomorrow Never Knows, which is John's um, kind of end song there. And so those are the the tracks that we'll talk some about. But what is the difference that um, the American one had on the Capitol release, Kevin? That had 11 tracks only instead of the 14. And it's missing I'm Only Sleeping and Your Bird Can Sing and um, Dr. Robert. Dr. Robert and Dr. Robert. Yes. So three Um, songs that are deep tracks that people like a lot. Um, Yes. Yes. For sure. So, uh, um, this is my favorite Beatles album. How about you? <laughs> um, yeah, I would say that this is my favorite Beatles album as well. Um, probably my second is probably Abbey Road. Yeah, but, yeah I um, would agree. But maybe I, Rubber Soul. Uh, Rubber Soul and that. Abbey Road are the you know two and threes. But yeah, Revolver. Either way, American or British version are very good. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think what makes it so good is there's a number of things. There's maturity to the songwriting. Um, there is a variety to the types of songs. You get songs that are more um, electric, you know, guitar rock driven, but you also get songs that are acoustic based or have orchestration, like a song like uh, Eleanor Rigby, for example. Or, or Here, There, uh, and Everywhere. Here, There, and Everywhere. Yeah. You get yeah. so- songs that are very creative, like Ringo's Yellow Submarine, which is iconic mm-hmm. now. Uh, mm-hmm. George has a great song with Taxman. Uh, you get kind of the beginnings of some of these ideas of psychedelic um, music with Tomorrow Never mm-hmm. Knows. Um, you know, great horn playing and stuff and songs like yep. I Get You In My Life. Very jazzy song, yep. yep. Yep, you know, the drumming that Ringo has on the singles for this album um, and for the album itself is phenomenal. It sounds great. It's recorded really well, you know, by the engineers and, and the producers like George Martin, but he also just has, just he's got a great flow going on this album, so he sounds really good. Um, they have all the characteristics that the Beatles would, you would expect from them with the harmonies and so forth and the melodies. It's just got just so yeah. much to offer. It's got a, a very clean sound to it and a lot more bass than mm-hmm. previous albums. And, um, it's got that kind of, uh, is clean, but it's got that kind of grungy grittiness that you want to, you know, it's kind of like a. It got a little garage band feel sometimes too, mm-hmm. you know, with this, this album. is, this is the album that I'm sure Oasis, the band Oasis yes, was like, this is where, this is what we want to be like. This is this the is sort the of thing. sound that we want for our band. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think that this album is the, and it's probably one of the reasons, okay. I like all Beale songs, but there's some that have, you know, a couple weaknesses. There's no weakness on this album. And it's, I think if you look at every, uh, the four Beatles, um, you know, what, uh, if they can bring a hundred percent to each album, well, like an album like, um, Sergeant Pepper, there's only one George song. There's not a hundred percent there for George. Mm-hmm. I say George is at like 50%. George is at a hundred percent here. Tax man. Um, and you know, he's got the best of his Indian inspired songs with love you too. Mm-hmm. All right. And I want to tell you, he's got three great songs in here. I mean, I really like Love You Too. It's one of my, it's a cool song, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
John is kicking butt here with, you know, I'm only sleeping. Uh, she said, she said, um, Dr. Robert, and then, of course, tomorrow never knows, right? And then Paul is just, you know, writing his great pop songs. I mean, Eleanor Rigby, um, Here, There, and Everywhere, which is, you know, a wonderful song. Good Day Sunshine is just a great song uh, for no one. Um, and I forgot John's also Andrew Burke can sing, which is a great song. So, they, mm-hmm. and then Ringo, I know he didn't, you know, John and Paul wrote Yellow Submarine for him, mainly Paul, but it's one of his, one of the most well-known songs ever of anybody. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you ask young students that we have in high school, Beatles songs, one of the first ones they always say is Yellow Submarine, right? So, yeah. and it's one um, of those songs that is one of a gateway song for young kids too, into the Beatles, it seems like as mm-hmm. well. So as far as the overall band, this is like the strongest, this this group, the, the best thing they produce as a whole entity, I think. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so, yeah, it, it's it's excellent. It's 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 amazing to me how just just a few short years into their recording career they're This is where they're at, you know. And of course, when you look at their their history, it's also at a point where. You know, they're about, this is the last album before they stop their touring, you know, their worldwide mm-hmm. touring. So, um, you know, there's a lot of changes that are going to be coming by the time, you know, this is all put, put the rest. Um, but it's, it, it's kind of the end of a certain era. And a lot of people who look at the Beatles kind of look at the next phase starting in 1967 as another phase in their, in their career. Um, which it is. I mean, you know, that's kind of what happens. But mm-hmm. um, it's this is when they're still concentrating on songs that can also be uh, used in live performances. Speaking of that, you said you got a chance to um, last week. We were talking about uh, the Egg Pod podcast uh, with Mark Lewis and talking about um, his Beatle album that he discussed on there, which was live at the Star Club. Uh, what'd you think of that uh, podcast? Very enjoyable. Um, pretty funny. Um, Two things that stood out to me that made me laugh out loud. One of them, and you probably recall this. I, I'll just jog your memory, I guess. Mm-hmm. He's talking about, you know, the looseness of the whole recording. And, you know, mm-hmm. they, they probably knew there was a tape recorder, but they didn't really care. They're just doing their show. And so Paul, I think, was singing "Till There Was You." So he's yeah. singing it, being all serious. And, John, and you can yeah. hear you can hear talking in the background these German people that probably don't even understand what they're singing half the time. And some you can hear some German dude talking. And right in the middle of pausing the song, John's like, "Be quiet, will you?" You know, he basically yeah. yells at the I guy think, and tries to mess he, up Paul. I think he yeah. yelled like, "Stop your talking!" You know, mm, or something. something. Yeah, something really like loud, like way right. louder than the guy. That was actually talking, okay, right. well, like from the, the stage, <laughs> right? I like that, and I also like, of course, it's classic uh, Lewis and kind of commentary where he's saying like, John didn't like some of the those songs, those sappy songs that um, Paul would do. So it's kind of his way, and you can hear Paul chuckle when he does it, but Paul mm-hmm. would be mad at anybody else but John when he basically is kind of one-upping him. Sabotaging in the of, a song. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, in the middle of it, just just totally messing with it. Um, but it's kind of funny, too. He's trying to it, make him laugh. He's trying to yeah, do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's like, you know, yeah, it was that was good. What else did you uh, think? Yeah, I, I figured you'd well, like that. Well, you know, I'm going to um, Liverpool this summer. And maybe we'll have to do some special reports when I'm there yeah. if I can get some Wi-Fi, okay? Um, but uh, we could probably figure out something. But you know, I'm going to go to the the remade cavern and all the different 
thing. And it's really interesting to listen to that um, because, you know, it is hard to listen to the Star Club thing. You don't know, tune into all the different background noises and things like he has. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's definitely useful. But when I'm there and I'm in the, in the cavern and I'm walking around Liverpool and riding around whatever I'm doing, uh, I'm going to be thinking about that. I mean, I think it kind of helps you understand that, like, that's the last time that they're a club band. You know, right. and that they're just rocking it out, and you do get that feel. I mean, there's that's the thing that you like about that is that they're just rocking it. You know, mm-hmm. they're making the wall shake. I mean, everybody I hope has maybe been to a a small venue concert where like the bass and the music and the guitars kind of goes through you. Literally, the mm-hmm. sound waves go through you. You feel the show. Okay, mm-hmm. when you're in a big arena or stadium show, that's not always the case, especially if it's outside, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but those things, and, and that's what they were doing. You know, you were mm-hmm. like in it. You're in the thick of it all, like a blanket covering you. And um, that's what the Star Club kind of demonstrates, you know. Mm-hmm. That's lost when they're playing Chase Stadium, you know. Right, yeah. And I think that that was, you know, something that they brought up in that that episode, and also just how some of the people that were there who apparently thought that would be a good place to go have a conversation, like sometimes would be tell them that they were too loud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. they're so, like, what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cause you're in a club. Yeah. Well, I, also, I, I don't know if you've listened to the, did you listen to the whole star club thing recently yourself too? Uh huh. Yes, I did. You know, you got the two German dudes that are singing, um, hallelujah. I love you. So, and, uh-huh. and there's another song, you know, they, they, be, or hippie, hippie shake, I think it is or something. Anyway, they, they sing two songs and they're, they're all right for German guys, but it's like, you know, it's not a Beatle singing it. And you're like, right. And I've always wanted, who the hell are these guys singing this song? You right, know? those were the and they two explain ha- those guys. Yes. Right, they're their handlers basically in there. Yeah, um, yeah. So they're which, out there singing with them, you know, which is right. pretty cool, you know. Right, I, mean, I don't know. So I never understood that. I've heard listened to the Star Club thing a few times, and I'm like, why are these guys are singing these songs? But he explained that, so that was interesting right. too. Yeah. I, you know, like on some of the like, there's a version where John's doing Sweet Little Sixteen on there that. Um, he it just sounds so awesome it just it like, does it, yes it, mm-hmm. and you know even even with this primitive sort of recording that version of him singing that is one of my favorite things i've ever heard him sing like i i like it yes. just it just just locks me in i have um the chuck berry you know like greatest hits on um vinyl and, and it's so much like that just a little bit faster and he does just rip it out so good and and Lewis also mentions how you know because of where the microphone is placed you really hear john's rhythm guitar so well and, and that is so true i mean you, you know the way those sound but you don't necessarily think about mm-hmm. why you like it but it's because it's just kind of moving it's just well, moving so good you know, and Ringo they, too. Yeah. If you listen to Rollover Beethoven from that, it starts off and you know, it starts off with the, the intro guitar lick with George, and then it really gets going faster. And I believe, and I'm sure there's evidence somewhere on this, that John I mean, you know, the rhythm guitar is kind of the pace and tempo of, of the of the song. And he would he, he like starts flying. Like oh, yeah. he he's just like I'm going to see how fast you can sing this song. They're brother. playing yeah. fast. Yeah. I mean, a lot you know, of those songs there, they're playing so fast. It almost reminds me of like Green Day. Right. I thought yeah. about Green Day a little bit when I listened to it. Like when Green Day is playing a really, really fast, like punky kind of song. They almost sound punk the way they're playing it. Yeah. Which is cool. I mean, I like that. And, and like they say, this is maybe Ringo's 
for a lot of these songs, the first time he ever played the songs with them. Yep. And he's a spot on. I know. Just it, driving it. it. That was yeah. the biggest takeaway I had at first was when, when they were bringing that up. And then I'm listening to Ringo when they play the little bits. And I'm like, oh, he sounds great. I mean, yeah. he is. He's yeah. got all the roles and all the little nuances in there. And, and they're talking he, about they didn't rehearse. I mean, no. the Beatles don't rehearse. You just go play a show. That's right. what you do. You know, yeah. So no, it was some rehearse practice. Yeah, yeah. practice. <laughs> yeah, right. And play. You know. Yeah, but so. it, it sounded good. I mean, it was just it's just like language. The music in the language is what it was. Mm-hmm. You know, they just could. They just knew each other, and that's why. Well, when you listen to that, like like Lewis mentioned, he basically, in his own words, said that you listen to Ringo there, even though he hadn't really played a lot of these songs with them, and that is why he. Is that part of the band? I mean, it, this all clicks. Yeah. He's just the yep. perfect, yeah. perfect thing. When he probably sat in those first few times, they were like, this is the missing link. This is yeah. the guy. And he really, I mean, it is. It's, it, it is so important. And so when you take that sort of moment where he's coming in, and by four years later, you get to Revolver, Ringo is more comfortable. And it's, it's really, it's not even four. It's like three and a half years later. Because that was yeah. in December right. 62. And they recorded in like April to June '66 for Revolver. It's not that far away, right? And, and I it's think like that, holy crap! You know? I don't think it's a coincidence that by this moment Ringo has gotten comfortable enough to have some of his best drumming performances on an album like Revolver. And mm-hmm. so I think that's a good way of cinching up this uh, segment here. Um, and just you know, Revolver, great album to go back and listen to if you have the opportunity to listen to. Um, Beatles live at the Star Club. I, we encourage you to do that too because it's great. And uh, when we come back, we'll get into a few other things, some Appa talk, and also on tap will be some stuff with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, inductees for 2020. So please stick with us and thank you for joining us. All right, welcome back. Time for some Appa Talk. Uh, it's always a good time to do that. And this is the time of year where new 2019 Appa cards are being delivered to mailboxes and front doors across the country to excited Appa baseball fans. You were one of them, and you got your yes. cards along with some of your other purchases. And how was that experience for you? Well, it went very well. Um I think I was one of the first people to get my order placed on the Thursday. My order was placed at like 5.02. <laughs> so they mm-hmm. mailed them out on Monday. That's when they mailed them out. And I got them on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. U.S. Postal Service doing its job, man. So it was right in my mailbox. And that's always a fun thing. It makes you feel like a little kid a little bit. And uh, get stuff out. And you know, Apple Card's a little different now. Have you made a, a recent um, purchase from the company or anything? Or Not recently, no. A lot of the stuff. So that remember I've been how they used older, to, yeah, yeah. They used to come like they'd have them in the envelopes and like a bigger box, but now it's like a big kind of like a brick of all the cards that you have, like the whole thing in order of the team, alphabetical order, and they have the cards there or the envelopes there for you. And you gotta get the cards out because it says like ATL, you know, for Atlanta or whatever. Right. So you can tell who it is and you got to put them in yourself, which is all right. Um, and the same thing, like, you know, I bought the 94 potential world series with Montreal and New York. And, um, you know, they have like a little shrink wrapped 
thing of both those and you just put them in there. So that's the way it is. So you got to kind of do a little work to put them together. But um, cars look like they're in good shape. Um, you know, there's like a guy on, on Facebook. I posted a picture of it and he's like, well, how do they look? Well, they look pretty good. They're cut pretty good. Some guys get a little funny about that stuff you know is every card perfect no there's probably a couple that maybe it's slightly off a little bit i don't care <laughs> okay mm-hmm. it's fine with me you know i'm not that picky about it you know i mean if there's some major problem or it's way off center or something like that i would but they look pretty good what's his name uh the pitcher for the uh angels um the big hitter kid uh oh a, um, um, a two um, yeah yeah, I just can't remember his name right this second. Anyway, he's, you know, he didn't pitch last year, if you remember, because he had a surgery and everything. Right, disengaged. So, yeah, so he's just, he's listed as designated hitter, <laughs> so which is what he should be because that's what he played. But the big thing was la- the year before when he did pitch and he did hit as a designated hitter, he was only listed as a pitcher. So I'm wondering, I mean, this next year with um, Madden going out there and coaching the Angels, um, uh, if he, he's going to pitch and he's going to hit, are they going to do both like they should? I mean, he's not on my team, but if I had him on my team, I certainly would want that, you know. Right. So um, we'll see. I don't know. But anyway, uh, I, I decided that I'd try to replay the uh, the potential 1994 World Series, which a lot of people say would have been maybe between the New York Yankees and the Montreal Expos. So um, I wasn't very familiar with these teams, so I had to go on Baseball Reference and see their most common lineups. And um, and so I, I basically put together um, the common lineups that I saw that they had uh, based on, you know, who got the most games and, you know, hitting in the number one spot, the number two spot, number three. And that's how I put it together. Okay, All right? good. That's, a, that's fair, yeah. Yep, and then their their top three pitchers because I figured you'd probably have like maybe a three man rotation, right? Mm-hmm. And then I looked, and they had the 1993 World Series. The home field was for the American League team. This is before the All Star Game, you know, decided stuff and all that. So it's going to start in Montreal. That's the way it would have gone. Um, mm-hmm. Even though in '95 they switched it again because they didn't play it, you know, mm-hmm. and um, they were at that time still doing the the DH in the American League Park and the hitters hitting in the National League Park, so they were doing that that year as well. So I went with that, and so um, I played the first two games, and um, we had uh, Ken Hill versus Jimmy Key for uh, the first game matchup, and um, it was in Montreal. And um, I kind of I can kind of go through and tell you kind of what happened here. Um, okay. Interesting, interesting game. Um, I'm sure it would have been a very exciting game in the uh, in uh, Montreal uh, for the first World Series. And uh, basically, um, in the bottom of the first thing, let me get my box score out here. Hold on, give me just a second here. Scorebook. This would have been exciting times for the Expos, you know. Yes, definitely, no doubt about that. So, um, let's see here. Here we go. Um, game info for the Expos. So, um, basically, you had um, Hill pitching pretty well. Um, he ends up only giving up one run over nine innings, and in the bottom of the first inning for um, the Expos. Uh, Moses Alou got a single with two outs, and then Larry Walker got a single, and then Darren Fletcher, their catcher, hit a big three-run home run to put them up 3-0 in the first inning. Um, they would add another run on um, 
a home run by Will. See, I, basically we had for the Expos, we had Marquise Grissom in center field, Cliff Floyd playing first, Moses Alou in left, Larry Walker in right, Darren Fletcher catching, Will Cordero um, at sh- uh, shortstop, Mike Lansing playing second, and Sean Barry, uh, the third baseman. So then Cordero hit a home run. They got another run in the sixth um, after a double by Darren Fletcher again, who looks like he might be the um, MVP. Sounds like it, yeah. Yep. Um, So far, anyway. And then Larry Walker hit a big two-run home run in the eighth inning. So so not much going on there. So an Expo victory, and I'm sure they would have been excited about that. Um, so it, it must have been interesting playing with, like you. I mean, you kind of got that feel that the Expos were pretty solid team that yeah, year. Yeah, huh? that's a beautiful. Yeah, well, they're a very good team. A team that might be a good um, tournament kind of type of team as well, for sure. Yeah, um, and it's hard to look at them sometimes. Any team from that season because they just don't have as many games played. So projecting their cards compared to how many at bats they had and home runs. Is yes. Always, it's a little bit well, different. Well, that's the beautiful thing about Apple cards. You, you see the card, and, you know, it is what it is, right? You know, I mean, you know it's good or bad, um, no matter if they only played 120 or 30 games or something like that. Right, yeah. yep. So um, kind of a lopsided game, but game two was very interesting. Um, and, and the great thing about Apple is you kind of feel those things, like that story. It's like reading a good book. It kind of goes through your head as you're going. So game two would have been very interesting to us, and I almost felt bad bad because you know for like the Yankees of course I'll read the lineup I came up with them Uh, we got Louis Polonia playing left uh, Wade Boggs at third uh, Don Madley at first uh, Paul O'Neill in right uh, Mike Stanley catching Bernie Williams in center Mike Gallego at shortstop Pat Kelly at second and then Jim Abbott Flint native that we know who we saw play in high school and pitch at the University of Michigan uh, he was pitching which would have been a fascinating story at that time. Yes, um, yes. Because, you know, he had, you know, he's got one arm, he still does. And um, he was a tremendous, you know, athlete, a, a good quarterback in high school, a very good hitter and everything. So he would have been hitting in the World Series and pitching. That would have been awesome, right? Right. So the Yankees got off to a better start. Louis Plunier got a single and a steal and scored a run on a um, Don Mattingly single in the first. And this would have been Don Mattingly's shot at a, World Series, okay, and then um, they end up in the in the third inning. Pat Kelly, who was the eight hitter, led off with a double. Jim Abbott, I got a sixty six seven for him because <laughs> he doesn't have a good, you know singles in the run, Sweet. first World <laughs> Series at bat. Wouldn't that have been so freaking awesome? Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine that? I mean, they'd be playing that stuff all the time now. Then um, nothing happens in the in the fourth. And then in the fifth, the Yankees tack on uh, four more runs. Jim Abbott got a walk uh, during that inning and ended up scoring a run. And then later on in the game, because he was pitching so well, he, he ends up pitching. Um, he ends up pitching a shutout, a three-hit shutout, and <laughs> drives in a run and gets two walks. Okay, can you? It's a, what you know? So yeah, I mean, I, it was a. I I think that's a great story. I think only in Apple that would happen because I think they would have. They would have shuffled their rotation to have him pitch when it yeah. in in a DH park, you know, in the Yankee State. But he is their second best pitcher, you know. Yeah. I mean, um, I know. during that season, so uh, maybe they would have. Uh, I don't know. I mean, other other guys yeah. were crap I, I mean, hitters, yeah. You know, so I mean, I don't know how much it mattered. 
I mean, like I had Jimmy Key. He he had a sacrifice bunt in the first inning, but he was a, he was pretty much an American League pitcher almost his whole career, I believe. I, maybe it was his whole career. I know it was most of it with Toronto and stuff. So, but if that would have happened, and he would have come up there, oh, how is he going to handle? Boom, base hit, singles in a run. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been something else. Oh, my goodness. You know, it would have been like on the greatest plays ever on baseball. You know, MLB never be playing it all the time. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. And I was just thinking about the whole time. I'm like, I hope he gets his shot out, you know. And then he pitches a shot out, you know, the one-handed pitcher from Flint. Can you imagine that? It would have been the greatest thing ever, you know. So That is a story right there, yep. Yeah, so it's one to one, and we're going back to New York for the next three, and we'll see what happens. I can report on that stuff next time. But it, it's it's been fun, and that's that's why that was fun, man. I mean, you you have that, and this whole story is going on in your head, you know, um, and it just plays out. So fun stuff. Well, that's cool. I think I think we can finish up um, our Appetalk with. I know you did a little poll um, on some of our social media. Maybe you can have some results for that on kind of what you were asking about. What was, uh, yeah, so, you know, my uh, draft is going to be coming up next Sunday, the 26th, for my um, Apple League that I'm in, the World Baseball Organization, WBO. So on our Facebook page, I put out a little poll to, um, you know, um, get get some, maybe some help, right? Because I've got a late round pick. in the draft, I've got the we got fourteen teams. I'm I pick thirteenth because because you, you know, made the World I, Series. Yeah. Yes, yes. Even though that's the way they've done it, I, I wasn't like second necessarily in in the standings overall. I mean, I, I maybe should have been up a few picks, but that's the way they do it. So whatever, you know, I'm not going to complain too much. But um, anyway, um, so I have to. I, I've got some. I got some holes. I got to fill. I can always use a couple position players. You know, maybe a, a young starting third baseman or first baseman or outfielder or something like that. Um, but also, I, I seriously need some pitching, particularly starting pitching to fill innings, you know. And I'd like to maybe get a young starting pitcher. So I put out a poll basically asking if, uh, you know, what what do you guys think? You know, should I go for it? If there is a, an av- a good available young starter, starting pitcher, should I take that? Or should I go for a young position player? So we had 83 people vote. Uh, on it and the consensus seemed to be to go for the young starting pitcher if a good one that I'm looking at is available so 45 to 38 it went with the young starting pitcher so we'll see um, we'll see what happens as the draft unrolls it starts you know next Sunday and of course it'll be a bit later in the day when I get to draft <laughs> so we'll see yeah, yeah but uh, I think that it's a uh, you, you're you were debating it's a hard decision for oh, you. oh yeah and, it is and yeah. I think that the results kind of show that it wasn't a clear-cut way either way right you know on yeah that. so but I I tend to agree with the results I think that if if a younger solid starting pitcher is available late in that first round that would probably be a good way to go because pitching is always a premium right it is it is it's hard to get them and you know pitchers only last so long you know so once they start getting out of their 20s man you you can't really rely on them too much sometimes even before that i guess right they're kind of like running backs in the nfl they last yes. a certain period of time it is yeah you ride similar. them and, and go i mean every so often you get one that can last a while but very very uh yeah frequently. i mean there's not many verlanders out there that last and but the verlanders had his ups and downs I and mean, he's had some very off years too but you know i'm sure if you've had him on your apple team the whole time you've been pretty pleased <laughs> so yeah right yeah so, all right. So we'll uh, 
we'll come back and maybe hear some results on those things and get into some other Talk next week. Um, but it's, uh, it's fun times, you know, and I've been kind of going back and forth, um, with some tournaments that'll be coming up, um, and picking tournament teams. So maybe we can get into some of that sort of conversation. Uh, I always find it fascinating when you have different formats, you know, how many man rotation and, you know, how many teams are going to be there and, you know, what's Mm -hmm. the, you know, teams from this year to this year and there's a DH or there's not a DH or, you know, that whole sort of thing. So that's, it's always fun to try to figure out. I just love the... I love the rabbit holes that Appa put you down. Just like you were asking me about some teams today and some of the teams I have. And, and you, you don't even think about, you know, I don't know, some team from the 70s. And you, like, look at the stats and you look at the cards and, like, oh, yeah, yeah, for this, you know. And then you, you wouldn't be thinking about it unless you were looking about it. So. Yep. So good stuff. And we'll keep uh, that discussion going um, in future episodes. Um, and when we come back, uh, we'll have a quick conversation about, um, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees. And again, thanks for joining us and stick with us. Okay. Um, we're going to jump into some, you know, some, a little bit of talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees for 2020. And the class, if you're not familiar with it, if you didn't see this, is uh, basically Depeche Mode, the Doobie Brothers, Whitney Houston, Nine Inch Nails, the Notorious B.I.G., and T-Rex, along with um, John Landau and Irving Asloff um, as kind of extra um, the Amit Erkin Award winners. So, but the performers are basically Depeche Mode, Doobie Brothers, Whitney Houston, Nine Inch Nails, Notorious B.I.G., and T-Rex. Um, mm-hmm. Which you know, I look at those. I, I again, it's a it's a Hall of Fame. It doesn't really matter, and you can and a lot of people can be critical of um, Hall of Fames, especially the Rock Hall. But um, I was we in our earlier episodes. I talked about who we thought should be in on the mm-hmm. nominees. And out of the ones that are here, uh, T-Rex, I think, is maybe the only one that we thought deserved it. Um, yeah. And well, I, I think Nine Inch Nails. I had no problem with Nine Inch Nails. Right. I'm not, you a, big, I'm not a Nine Inch I'm not a big fan at all. I don't have any of their albums, to be honest with you. But I do respect them, and I think that they have a historical significance for um, 90s mm-hmm rock and roll so i think right. they deserve to be there yeah do you think Trent, that Trent Reznor does yes do you think nine inch nails deserves to be there more than soundgarden who didn't get in and they were on the list um no i think soundgarden right. definitely deserves see like to more. me i looked at it like if i picked a 90s group like nine inch nails or soundgarden i'd take soundgarden over them you know um if i had to pick um you know other bands you know like i um i would have picked like craft work or MC5, you know, those, yeah. I really wanted to see MC5 get in there. Yeah. I think but, Depeche Mode is a great selection. I think I that do. they were, yeah. were, you know, with electronic type music and everything. That they, and again, I'm not a Depeche Mode fan. I don't have any of their stuff, but I, I think they're important. And I mm. think they deserve to be there. Um, I got, you know, the problem too, always with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is it's called the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So when you put somebody in like Whitney Houston, she's not rock and roll. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm not saying she's not important and she was a great singer and had a lot of significance as far as, you know, hit making and stuff. But it's like, really? 
You know, I I, I get it. There's been a number of hip hop groups that have been put in in the last few years, and I'm okay with that. I I know it's called the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and that's the best sounding name. I kind of look at it as the Music Hall of Fame or something like that. Popular Music Uh, Hall of Fame. Yeah. Yeah. And and I guess I'm okay with that. I I'm not surprised that Whitney Houston's in. I didn't vote for her, but I know her success probably leads to that. I do feel bad, and I saw some things even on like Twitter and stuff where I think Pat Benatar kind of gets kind of raw. I, I think she should have got in. Yeah, I, and yeah. I like I always like Pat Benatar, Benatar, and I think that as far as a female rocker, she she definitely deserves that. Mm-hmm. Doobie Brothers. I mean, it's not like I don't like some of their songs. I never think of them as a Hall of Fame group. Same thing with Dave Matthews Band. I don't think of them, and I'm glad they are like the Dave Matthews Band of the '70s and early '80s. Yeah, that's kind of what the Doobie Brothers are. Okay, and okay, what has Dave Matthews or the Doobie Brothers changed other than having songs that sound pretty much the same and a lot of boring songs? I don't know. <laughs> okay, I, I, and that's the thing. I want them to push something. Like if you're pushing, yeah, you got to push um, some boundaries. Or some something. some aspects of let's say punk Change rock, music like MC5, or yeah. I mean, you know, if you are, um, you know, like if you look at a, a craft work, what they're doing with with some of the technology is is pushing things. That and even Nine Inch Nails does stuff like that. I, I'll give them that. You know, but yeah, I mean. Dewey Brothers? I, I mean, I, I just... Notorious B.I.G. Again, I'm not a big fan, but he pushed things. He pushed yeah. rap music in a different direction and influenced people. There's all kinds of people that talk about him influencing them. So he should be in. I got no problem with that. You know, right? I think but, you got to be influencers yeah. and game changers and and things like that. I think that's why I think T Rex deserves it because I think mm-hmm. you're pushing into a different form and different sounds and stuff. So you know, I mean, I get it. Uh, congratulations to the people that are in. Um, I'm always, you and I are always fans of people getting into Hall of Fames yeah. um, if they can. Where we tend to have issues are the people that deserve to be in a Hall of Fame and get you know screwed on that. But Lou Whitaker. Yeah, I like Lou Whitaker. Um, you know, I, that goes without saying. So, um, so you know, congratulations to uh, the uh, six performer uh, inductees and the two um, kind of non-performer inductees. And I think they're going to be doing a big uh, rock and roll induction ceremony in May um, in Cleveland or something. So yeah, it goes back and of... forth. Cleveland, New York, I, I think. So it's right. Cleveland this year. So yeah. that's always fun seeing people come in and do some performances and stuff like that. Um, so, um, that's kind of our takes on, uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for 2020. And when we come back, um, we'll wrap up. That concludes this episode of Double Take. Thank you for joining us and consider giving us a follow or some feedback on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Double Take Cast or email at doubletakefeedback at gmail.com. Join us next week as we discuss the Beatles Sgt. Pepper album, Apple Baseball, and more. Double Take is recorded using Audacity and CleanFeed. We use Fifine USB microphones and distribute through Anchor.fm. Theme music, Funk in the Trunk, is by Shane Ivers at SilvermanSound.com. Please follow us on Twitter, 
Facebook, or Instagram at DoubleTakeCast, or email us at doubletakefeedback at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.